0: So, so we sing these songs about the love of God in, in church, and we should. The love of God is an amazing thing. And one of those songs actually has a line about unforeseen kiss. It's the song, How God Loves You. You familiar with this song? So there's this line in that song. Hold on, let me, let me go back. I want to make sure I don't misquote it. Uh, Heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. You ever heard this lyric? Heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss? Okay, so... The thing is, though, for that song, when I first learned it, it was heaven meets earth like a wet sloppy kiss. (laughs) Anybody ever seen that version? Okay, so I'm a highly distractible person, like Squirrel, you know, I could go off. So you put a line like that in a song, like I just went from exalting Jesus to thinking about a 120-pound Labrador licking my face, you know, like, (laughs) it's not right, (laughs) it's not right. But we should sing songs about the way that God loves us. The love of God is an extraordinary thing. And I actually think we don't fully understand the love that God has for us. I don't. And, and what I love about the passage we're going to get into today as we continue our series in Luke is, is we get to dive into some of the qualities and ways that we see how God loves us. So if you have your Bibles... Hey, I hope you do. If you're new to Connection Point Church, we say that because we want you in God's Word. We want you in it daily, so we hope you have it today. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you today, there's one underneath the the chair in front of you. You're welcome to borrow that as we read Scripture. Uh, If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take it home as a gift from the church. We want you to have access to God's Word. And we're actually going to finish the 23rd chapter of Luke today. Which if you know Luke, that means we only have one chapter left. So, although the passage today is rather lengthy. So, I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. And because we're in a lengthy passage, I want you to tell your neighbor, we get a chance to really stretch our legs today. Tell your neighbor. And what that means is you're going to stand for a little while. Uh, But this is a great passage. There's a lot going on here. And so we're going to start in verse 26 of Luke, the 23rd chapter, and here's what Luke writes. He said, And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to Jesus, he said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren in the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us in the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who has not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in a tomb and cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. Tell your neighbor you did a great job. (laughs) It's a longer passage, but it's a worthwhile one to take a look at together. So we left off in Luke last week, if you were here, with talking about the king of our hearts. That we were in a passage where Pilate wants to release Jesus to the crowd, but they instead asked for Barabbas to be released. Now, I pointed out last week that the name Barabbas, Bar, is the Aramaic uh, word for son, and Abba is the word for father. So when the crowd asks Pilate to release Barabbas, they're asking that one of their own, a son of an earthly father, be released, and that Jesus, the Son of God, go to the cross. Ever since the Garden of Eden, we've struggled with the desire for God to rule in our lives. The question all of us must face, is Jesus king of your heart? We've all got to consider that question. Have we enthroned Jesus, or have we enthroned ourselves? our plans, our desires, our dreams. To enthrone Jesus, we must live the crucified life. We must become who he was, do what he did, believe what he taught, and obey what he commanded. Those are the qualities of what it looks like to live the crucified life, if you've ever looked for a definition. It's basically just following in the way of Jesus, for he's our best example. And and we don't do this as a way to earn salvation. We, We don't do this to earn God's love. There's no way to earn it. He's already freely given it. So we simply respond to Jesus and his love for us by living like him. And what would compel Jesus to live this kind of life for us? In one word, love. Love was the driver that compelled God the Father to send his son for this purpose. And love is what led Jesus to submit to the will of the Father on the cross. So I'd like to look at our passage this morning to discover exactly how much it is that God loves us, because he loves us much. In fact, God loves us so much, he's concerned about our future. So God loves us so much, he loves you so much, he is concerned about your future. On his way to the cross, there's this multitude of women following Jesus, and he turns to tell them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, fortunate indeed are the women Are childless, the wombs who have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us and plead with the hills, bury us. I want us to consider after Jesus, he's faced trial. He's been beaten and ridiculed. He's at this point not even able to carry his own cross because he's he's about half dead. But even in that situation, he's more concerned for us and our future than himself. Jesus is concerned for your future. I mean, this city which he's wept over, it's rejected him, and and so it's going to be judged and condemned because of it. And this concerns Jesus. It concerns him that even the faithful, because he's talking about women who love him, even the faithful are going to face challenging days in their future because of how Jerusalem has rejected his kingship. Jesus is concerned about your future. He's concerned about your future if you've not made him king of your heart. He's concerned about your future if you have made him king of your heart. And some of the hardship you'll face because of that. He's concerned about your future. God loves us so much, he's concerned about our future. And how else does God love us? God loves us so much, he forgives us. God loves us so much, he forgives us. After Jesus is put on the cross, he cries out in a loud voice, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus forgives those responsible for his crucifixion. He forgives those that are being influenced by evil. He models what it looks like to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, that was a teaching of Jesus. He models for us the crucified life. He forgives us for releasing Barabbas, asking that he be crucified instead. God loves us so much, He forgives us. And how else does God love us? He he loves us so much, He invites us to live in His kingdom. God loves you so much. You are invited to live in his kingdom. After forgiving those responsible for his crucifixion, the the two criminals on on the right and on the left, they begin to interact with Jesus. One mocks him, while the other puts his faith in Jesus. The one criminal, he asks to be included in God's kingdom. What a statement on the cross. He's being crucified and says, Jesus, let me live in your kingdom. And Jesus says, I assure you, today, you'll be with me in paradise. But it is interesting that the man asks not to live in paradise, but to live in his kingdom. That's interesting terminology. But this was the ongoing message of Jesus. It's how he opens in ministry. We look at Mark chapter 1, where, where Mark uh, records that Jesus saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, one of the concerns I've had uh, as a pastor within our Western culture is it seems we've promoted a salvation culture over a gospel culture. And I want to explain what the difference is between the two. Because there is a big difference between these two cultures. A salvation culture simply encourages people to be saved by Jesus so they can gain eternal life. But a gospel culture invites people to live an extraordinary life with God now. There's a difference between those two things. Uh, If you've been attending Connection Point Church for any length of time, I hope you understand we're working hard here to create a gospel culture, not just a salvation culture. Because the problem with salvation cultures is people want to be saved and guaranteed eternal life, and then oftentimes kind of not have a whole lot to do with Jesus until they get to heaven. But that's not the invitation we have. That's not good. It's it's really not the gospel. Because in a gospel culture, citizens of God's kingdom, they live for Jesus now, making him the king of their heart so that they can serve as kingdom carriers everywhere they go. There's a difference. We're invited to live for Jesus now. We don't have to wait. So ladies and gentlemen, we've been invited to the kingdom of God. You've been invited. I've been invited. Your mother-in-laws have been invited. And some of you are upset about that. Joanne, if you're watching this, I love you. (laughs) Even the criminal on the cross, he asks, not simply for eternal life. We need to look at these statements more closely sometimes. He asks to be included in God's kingdom because he knew that's where it was at. Like, that's what life was all about. And, And as Jesus continues to preach the gospel, so he starts with, the kingdom of God is at hand. Then later in his teachings, he explains, and this is what citizens of my kingdom look like. He gives a description of them. That they're poor in spirit. They realize they need help. That they're meek, they're, they're strong, but they're easy to live with. That they mourn over sin. They, they turn from evil and commit to never return to it. They always want more of God. They see needs and they meet needs. They keep their hearts clean. They make peace wherever they go. And they do what's right, even when it's hard. These are all qualities of what it looks like to be a citizen in God's kingdom. And so then our reflection can be, how am I doing? Do those qualities describe me? It's not that you try to live like that. It's because of Jesus in you, you naturally live like that. So how are you doing? Do these qualities describe you? If not, you might be just living out a salvation culture instead of a gospel culture. And Jesus came to fulfill the full gospel, to invite you to live in the kingdom with the king, and live an extraordinary life because of it. There's so much that we're afforded in God's kingdom, are we living it out? God loves us so much, he invites us to live in his kingdom. And how else does God love us? He loves us so much, he removes barriers between us and him. He takes them away, he he takes barriers out out of place. Shortly before Jesus dies on the cross, there's a curtain in the temple and it's torn in two. You see, within the temple, there's this curtain. So we've, we've shared pictures before. We've got the temple mound, and you've got the court of the Gentiles, and you go further in, you've got the court of the women, and, and you go inside the temple, and you've got this chamber, and it's broken up into two parts. You've got the holy place, which is where the priests daily ministered. It's where the candelabra is. So if you go back to the beginning of Luke and Zechariah, he's ministering in the temple. That's where he's at in the holy place. But then you've got this place behind a curtain, the holy of holies, and it was the place for God. Only the high priest, one day a year on the Day of Atonement, could he go and cross behind the veil to the place where God dwelled. That was their understanding. And this veil was huge. It was 34 feet in length, 69 feet tall, three to four inches thick. So when that veil was split in two, that was a big deal. You can't exactly pick that back up and put it back together. And God didn't want him to. He was saying, my job is done here. You have direct access to me. There is nothing to keep you from me now that Jesus has died on the cross. It is God's heart to remove barriers that might be keeping you from God. It was his heart 2,000 years ago, and it is his heart today. What are those barriers that are keeping you from God? Is the pursuit of wealth, degrees, or anything else keeping you from dedicating your life to God? Is your longing for success and affirmation, does it hold you back from stepping into the life that God has for you? Are television and social media distracting you from living a life holy in God's kingdom? God loves us so much, he removes barriers between us and him. How else does God love us? He, He loves us so much, he sent his son to die for us. God loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you. After the curtain of the temple is torn in two, Jesus calls out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus died on the cross. And there's been some debate about that in the last couple thousand years. And so I took time during our Good Friday service back in April to address that question with, did Jesus really die on the cross? So if you still have questions about that, I encourage you to go back, go to our iTunes podcast or online at connectionpointchurch.org. Go back and listen to that message. If you've got questions about, did Jesus really die? I answered that question there. So I'm gonna go ahead and ruin the message for you. He did die. But I would still encourage you to go back to watch it. But Jesus did die on the cross, and so I wanna move forward with that understanding this morning. And he died so that we might die to sin. That's what scripture tells us. He died so that we could overcome evil in our lives. He died so you would no longer be a slave to sin. That's why he died, he died to set us free. You look at 1 Peter, here's the description. He himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness there's the reason he died on the cross by his wounds you have been healed for you were strained like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls isn't it wonderful that we have an overseer for our souls thank you lord but i want to say if we look at this verse Let's examine, kind of going back to salvation culture and gospel cultures. Did Jesus simply die on the cross so we could be granted eternal life? No, there's actually more to it than that. Is it part of it? Sure. But I don't want us to just think that's the only reason he died. It actually cheapens the gospel. Jesus did not just die on the cross so that we could live forever with him. Look at the passage. It didn't say he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we can live forever with him. It doesn't say that. It says that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. There's a reason Jesus died on the cross, and we need to live in it. To limit our view of the gospel to just the one part of the ability we have to live forever with God, it limits the kind of life that you're meant to live in the kingdom from now. Jesus died so you could live in righteousness, it says. So what's righteousness? It's kind of a big word. Just truncate it. To live right. That's it. Because Jesus died on the cross, you can live right with God, which is a really good thing because he's your creator. Because Jesus died on the cross, you can live right with other people. That's a really good thing. So we can live right because Jesus died on the cross, and our model for righteousness is Jesus. So we can live like him, to be who he was, to do what he did. Jesus died, so we have the ability to live right. That's really good news. Because to be clear, we do not have the ability to do this on our own strength. We cannot live right with God in our own strength. We we cannot earn our salvation. There's no way to do that. We cannot live right with others in our own strength. We need Holy Spirit empowerment to do it. We cannot live like Jesus without the Holy Spirit in our life. Only because, only because Jesus died on the cross do we have the capacity to live right with God in others. Only because Jesus died on the cross do we have the supernatural ability to live like him. God loves us so much. He sent his son to die on a cross so that we could live right with him and live right with others and be guaranteed eternal life because of it. God loves us so much, he sent his son to die on a cross so that we could walk in his footsteps, live a crucified life, and help others find God too. So, how are we doing? Are we depending on the Holy Spirit? to live right with God? Are we seeking to live in right relationship with others because of God in us? Are we coming together with others on a Sunday in order to experience God? That's that's really what we're here for. You are meant to experience God here. Experience him in song, experience him in prayer, experience him as you go take communion, experience him as you hear from his word and you're meant to be changed and go out looking more like Jesus every week. We should have some extraordinary Jesus people in this place. Because every week we're encountering God. That's why we gather on a Sunday. God loves us so much. He sent his son to die for us. So that we could live right. And how else does God love us? He loves us so much. He enthroned Jesus as king. God loves us so much. He enthroned Jesus as king. And that's a really good thing. The the political atmosphere in Jerusalem as Jesus goes to the cross. It's really a convergence of lots of competing forces at that time the self-appointed leaders of the Jewish people, they're set on a course radically different from the way of Jesus. The Pharisees, they're looking for an intensification of the law. They want people to live by the law in the hope that this will speed up the restoration of Israel. That's what they're shooting for. The chief priests, they're anxious to keep their shaky power intact. So the chief priests, they weren't so much concerned with spiritual growth. They just wanted to make sure that they were able to stay allied with Rome and live a wealthy life. And the high-pressure system of Jewish hopes is at its greatest, but it's not moving in the direction that Jesus knows it needs to go. And then the Roman power, it's, it's gathering its full force. We've got Jewish leaders, we've got Jewish law, and then we've got Roman imperial government. And there's this crisis in the Middle East that they don't want. So they don't want to, they want to squelch anything that looks like rebellion. And Jesus, as he arrives in Jerusalem in this final week, he's one who's representing God and his work and it being revealed. And so now what is Jesus about to do on the cross? I think we need to understand that as we look at that cross and we come in on a Sunday morning, we need to understand what's happening there. And what's happening is, is the tyrant is about to be defeated. And not Rome, but the dark power that stands behind this great and cruel empire. God's people are about to be liberated. And God's people are all those who put their faith in Jesus like the disciples. Or anyone else who says, Jesus, I know that you're king. Those are God's people, so they're about to be liberated. Jesus is about to win a battle. And not by force of arms, but by a different power. Love. Here's what Jesus tells his followers shortly before he goes to the cross. Now is the judgment of this world. So he's about to go and be crucified. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. I think sometimes we miss that before the cross, There was an enemy who was a ruler on this world. At the temptation of Jesus, go back to Luke chapter 4, temptation of Jesus, what does Satan tempt Jesus with? He says, I will put you in power. He cannot give what he does not have. So what that means is Satan up to this point is in power. But what does Jesus say? At the cross, he's about to be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself when I'm I'm lifted up on a cross. I'm going to liberate people. That's what the cross is. Jesus' death is victory. That symbol is victory for us. It's God's victory over this world's ruler, who seems to not just be merely Caesar, but the destructive power behind Caesar. When Jesus is on trial, it's a confrontation of the political and theological proportions all behind the kingdom of God. So basically, it's the kingdom of God that's on trial when Jesus is on trial. But the problem is, is the kingdom that Jesus represents is not a kingdom the Jewish leaders want. That's why they accuse Jesus of misleading the people. It's a different sort of kingdom from anything that Pilate has heard of or imagined. A kingdom without violence, a kingdom not of this world, and yet through the work of Jesus absolutely for this world. The main confrontation is really between Jesus, representing God's kingdom, and Pilate representing the kingdoms of this world. That's the confrontation that's taking place. Because the Jewish leaders have ultimately caved in and followed the Roman way. They said to Pilate, we have no king except Caesar. So they've already pledged allegiance to Rome. So that's the the battle that's taking place because Jesus tells Pilate he's come to bear witness to the truth. And this is why Jesus is crucified as king of the Jews, that placard that sit above his head. The king of the Jews must complete what God had set out for his people to do. That for the world, expressing and embodying the saving, healing, sovereign love of God, the world's creator. That's what Jesus is going to do on the cross. Jesus' death was the means by which God's kingdom was established on earth. So today, God's kingdom is already here. It's not fully realized, but it's already established with Jesus on the cross. Jesus's walk to the cross was actually his triumph his Roman triumph, his Roman procession. And his procession was crowned at the coronation. As he goes up on the cross, he's crowned king of the Jews. Jesus was crowned king on that cross. And the life of a nation is always bound up in its king. And only Israel's true king had the ability to serve as its representative, its substitute. But how can that be? How can this horrible, ugly brutal execution of Jesus be the means of establishing God's kingdom. It's important to understand that Jesus was fighting a battle, but Rome and the Jewish leaders who sided with Rome, they were not the real enemy. The real enemy to be met head-on by the power and love of God was the anti-creation power, the power of death and destruction, the accuser who lays a charge against the whole human race and the world itself, that all are corrupt and decaying that all humans have contributed to this by their idolatry and sin. And the terrible thing is the accuser is right. All humans have indeed worshipped what is not divine and so have failed to reflect God's image to the world because we are meant to be his image bearers to the world. They and creation are therefore subject to corruption and death. So at this level, the accuser is absolutely right, but the accuser is wrong to imagine this is the creator's last word. What we see throughout Jesus' public career is he himself is being accused. He's accused of being a blasphemer by the self-appointed Jewish leaders. He's accused of being out of his mind by his family. That's tough. He's even accused by his followers of taking his career in the wrong direction. And all of the strands of evil throughout human history, throughout the ancient biblical story, they come rushing together as the gospels tell the story of Jesus from demons shrieking at him in the synagogue the misunderstanding of Romans and Jews and doubts of his own friends and followers. So I'm summarizing what we've covered in the gospel according to Luke. So now finally, Jesus is accused in front of the chief priests in the council. Pastor Zachary talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He's accused of plotting against the temple. He's accused of forbidding the giving of taxes to Caesar. He's accused of claiming to be the king of the Jews, a rebel leader. He's accused of blasphemy, of claiming to be God's son. So, all of these accusations leveled against him, they come rushing together from all sides as the leaders accuse Jesus before Pilate, and Pilate finally does what all the accusations throughout the Gospels have been demanding he has him crucified. Jesus, in other words, he's taken all the accusations that were outstanding against the world and against the whole human race, and he's borne them in himself. Israel was the representative of God to the world. Remember, God called Abraham's family to be a blessing. The whole world would be blessed through him, and now Jesus represents that. Jesus is about to bless the world on the cross because through Jesus, Israel's true king, the world will be blessed and set free from evil rule forever. Evil does not have a hold on you because of the cross. The question is, are you allowing it because you're not living in the victory Jesus gained for you? Victory is yours. God so loved the world, he crowned Jesus king on the cross, casting down the former ruler of this world, establishing his kingdom on earth. Praise God we live in this day. His kingdom is here. The question is, are we living in it? Because when you and I are fighting for victory in this world, that's what we're doing. We're actually fighting from the position of victory and in the authority of the one who already won. You're victorious in Christ. But are you operating in the victory and authority of King Jesus? Or are you living a defeated life? You're not meant to. You have victory today. You got to step into it. Are you engaging in acts of love and kindness and proclaiming his truth that he is king and he's invited us to live in a kingdom? Or are you simply going through the motions in life, just waiting to get to heaven? You're made for so much more. You are made for so much more. When Jesus said, I, I came to give you abundant life. An extraordinary life. It's because he invited you to live in his kingdom from now. Not just when you die. Are you living in it? Because God has prepared good works for you. Scripture says, I have prepared good works for you. But are you stepping into those good works? Or are you just waiting to die? Jesus died on a cross and was crowned king so that you and I could live extraordinary lives in his kingdom today. And for all of eternity. Yes, that promise for eternity is there. But let's not forget the here and now. God so loved the world, he sent his son Jesus to do what only he could do. So what could your life look like if you started living from the position of victory instead of defeat? What could your life look like? What kind of life purpose and meaning could you have if you started living like Jesus, fulfilling the good works he's prepared for you? There is incredible purpose in your life that you're meant to have as you live in Jesus and his kingdom from today. You're not gonna know what that looks like until you dedicate yourself to Jesus today. Crown him king of your heart. We talked about that last week. Let any other ruler, ruler active in your heart. Think about this. If Jesus cast down the ultimate world ruler on the cross, he can cast those rulers in your heart down today. He can do it today. So have you crowned. I would encourage you, crown Jesus king of your heart. Let him cast down any other rulers that might be in your heart today, so that you can advance his kingdom, that you can be a kingdom carrier so that others might know him too I want to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning and as I close, you know, so often I, I give invitation for someone to become a follower of Jesus but I think this morning it's more than that maybe you already have made a decision to follow Jesus, but maybe you need to enthrone Jesus in your heart in a different way than you have before, maybe you've been living in defeat instead of living in victory because you're meant to live in victory in Jesus' name. So this morning, my invitation would be that, and I'll just pray with you before we leave, and then I want you to dedicate yourselves to his purposes in song, is today you would say, you know what? I really need to enthrone Jesus as king in my heart in a different way, on a different level, and and let him dethrone those other rulers that have been in my heart. I need to start living in victory instead of in defeat. So with every head bowed here this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond, and I want to pray with you as your pastor. That Jesus gives you the victory that you are due because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. He did it. Once and for all, it's done. You gotta step into it. So who here today would say, I I wanna live with greater victory in my life today. I wanna live with greater victory in my life this week. I wanna live with greater victory in my life this next year. Anybody else? Many hands going up in this room. Anybody else that would say, I I need to live in that victory. I, I don't wanna live a life of defeat. I wanna live well in his kingdom knowing that work is already done. God, I just pray for every one of those hands that went up in this room and I pray for those that that are still wrestling with those truths. I just pray, Jesus, that we would live in victory today because of what you've done on the cross. God, I thank you that you love us so much that you enthroned Jesus as king on the cross. It's hard to understand it sometimes, but Jesus, we just put our trust in you knowing that that work was done once and for all. And so, God, I just pray that where we've allowed the enemy to influence our lives, I just pray against the work of the enemy in Jesus' name. God, I just pray that we would not live defeated lives, but victorious lives today and every day. You as king of our hearts. God, I just pray for those barriers that may have maybe kept us from you. I just pray, Jesus, that you would reveal those to us. And, Lord, that we would commit those things to you, that we would walk away from those barriers that have kept us from living a life fully in your kingdom. And Jesus, I pray that as we close in song here in a moment, I pray, Jesus, that we dedicate our lives to you in ways that maybe we have not before. Lord, I, I pray that we'd come to the altar. If, if you lead us that direction, I pray that we'd just spend time in prayer if that's what you want us to do. I just pray, Jesus, that we dedicate our lives to you in new ways today, that we might live in victory. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.